Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, everybody. We begin the readout tonight with something that actually should not be breaking news. A Fox News host and a Republican senator went on the record this weekend to state the obvious. Trump lost the election. I think that uh, in life, you have to learn to lose. If you did, in fact, get screwed out of this election, put together an A-team list of lawyers, not the ones we witnessed, and show us the districts and show us how. I have not seen any of that. While there were some irregularities, there were none of the irregularities which would have risen to the point where they would have changed the vote outcome in a single state. The election was fair, as fair as we've seen. We simply did not win the election as Republicans for the presidency. Now, the only reason that this is news is because we are talking about a political party ruled by a man who cannot emotionally handle having lost an election, who dreams of becoming an American autocrat and who, of course, lashed out at the Republican senator who you just heard by threatening his political future and also attacking both the election and the free press. All signs of creeping authoritarianism inside the one time party of Lincoln rotting our democracy from within. That is what Republicans now stand for, embodied these days by none other than Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, who has just announced that he is breaking his term limits pledge and running for re-election. The January 6th apologist has a seriously low approval rating. And here's a sample of why that is. The fact of the matter is, uh, even calling it an insurrection, uh, it wasn't. By and large, it was, it was all it was peaceful protests. Had the tables been turned, and President Trump won the election, and those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, I might have been a little concerned. If you have a vaccine, quite honestly, what do you care if your neighbor has one or not? Standard garbage, uh, mouthwash, uh, has been proven to kill the coronavirus. Ah, yes, that's right. He's the Listerine kills COVID guy. And yet Johnson is no outlier. He is, in fact, the party mascot, along with wormy Kevin McCarthy, who today threatened the pettiest of political retaliations against Democrats. He said that if Republicans win control of the House in the midterm elections and put him in charge, he will remove some high profile Democratic members from their committees, naming Eric Swalwell, Ilhan Omar and Adam Schiff as Democrats that he'd remove from their committee assignments for no other reason at all than to troll. Joining me now is Wisconsin's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, one of the Democrats who's vying to face Senator Ron Johnson this fall. And Lieutenant Governor Barnes, thank you so much for being here. You you are going to be running against someone who, in sort of the normal world, would be considered a ridiculous figure, saying that you can gargle Listerine to kill COVID, saying there was no insurrection. If it had been Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, supporters, then he would have been worried, but not the ones who, you know, left five police officers, you know, and other folks dead during the insurrection. But in this world now, he is kind of normcore Republican. Let me play for you Jordan Klepper, who's brilliant from The Daily Show. He went out and interviewed just some regular Republicans from your state back in June. Take a listen. I think, I think the country's going to, going to pot right now. Not the country I grew up in. What, 
What country did you grow up in? The land of the free. The United States of because America of the in the 60s. <laughs> Things were better in the 60s. Oh, yeah, 70s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, in the 60s, we knew which drinking fountain to drink from. Exactly. exactly. I mean, 71% of Republicans believe that Donald Trump won the election. Um, how do you run for office in that kind of an environment in a state like Wisconsin? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And what we do in a state like Wisconsin is we take our message directly to the voters. We take our message directly to the people, because although 71 percent of people or Republicans may think that Donald Trump won, the overwhelming majority of people know that democracy won, know that Joe Biden is the rightful president uh, of the United States of America. So what we're going to do is run a grassroots campaign. We are going to reach out to every corner of this state. I've already been to every county as lieutenant governor uh, doing the work of the people. And we're going to show back up uh, throughout this campaign to talk about our plan to make sure that health care is available to everybody in Wisconsin, make sure that we're doing something to address climate change and also to rebuild the middle class that gave people uh, like me opportunities. And that's all. You know, that's what it comes down to in a state like Wisconsin. We don't want anything more. We, we certainly don't want anything less. And that's certainly what Ron Johnson has been providing. He's been providing the worst type of leadership, uh, peddling these conspiracy theories, uh, doing the work to divide us as a country, serving as a distraction while he gives tax breaks to his wealthiest donors. You know, he broke his term limit pledge for a reason. That's because over the course of his time in the U.S. Senate, he's made millions because of some of the decisions that he's made to change our tax laws in this country. So we're going to continue showing up every county, every community, and if you all are with us, please go to www.MandelaBarnes.com to help us defeat Brian Johnson, because we will win here in Wisconsin. Let me ask you to sort of a little bit to dig a little bit deeper into that, because, you know, Wisconsin is an interesting state. I mean, this is a state that President Obama won pretty handily in 2008. He then won it again in 2012. It's, it's a true swing state because it then swung to Donald Trump. So Trump's margin of victory, he barely won it in 20 in 2016. But he, he did manage to squeak it out. And then Biden won in 2020 by about that much. That's a hell of a swing in a short period of time. And the thing that stands out to me about that time period is that there was a black president and that you had a Republican Party that reacted to the existence of that black president by going really hard on racism and on pricking white anxiety. And what they're doing now to play that same game is to say critical race theory, um, teaching history is going to you know, make white children traumatized. Like they're using race in a very overt way post-Trump. You, obviously, an African-American man running statewide, you can just presume the kind of race they're going to run against you. How do you push back on that? Do you push back on it? Tell me how you're going to navigate this openly racist world that, you know, the Republican Party have created um, for themselves politically. Well, Donald Trump opened that door and Ron Johnson was more than happy to walk right on through it. Uh, but I'll tell you, they haven't been the only two. There have been so many people in Republican leadership who've taken this tack, who decided that they would let uh, racism and vitriol rule the day. Uh, but we're better than that. In a state like Wisconsin, we have proud traditions. I always remind people that we were the first state to declare the Fugitive Slave Act unconstitutional. We were the first state to ratify the 19th Amendment. We have a history of doing bold things in this state. And if you were to show up, you meet all kinds of amazing people. And those are the folks that are powering this campaign. That's exactly, uh, as I mentioned, who we're taking this, uh, we're taking our message, who we're taking this campaign to. I do believe that the light will drown out the darkness. Uh, I do believe that better is possible. There are so many people who are dissatisfied 
with big business as usual, as uh, Ron Johnson has been giving to this state. We got rid of Scott Walker in 2018. Uh, a lot of people didn't think that was possible. It was a gargant- it was a it was a gigantic task. Like it was it was it seemed impossible when we were in it. Uh, it was almost impossible. It almost felt impossible when we were on the stage giving an acceptance yeah. speech. But it happened. And I'll tell you, in yeah. 2022, this November, uh, it's going to be the same story when it comes to Ron Johnson. Uh, we don't do well with people who continue to disserve the folks that they were elected to represent. If Ron Johnson is not going to do the work of the people, I'm going to do it for him. Well, uh, we wish you luck. I hope that you will come back often. Uh, and obviously, you've already won statewide, so you kind of know how to, how to run a race in that state. Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Thank you very much, sir. Really appreciate you. Um, now let's bring in Charlie Sykes, editor at large of The Bulwark. And Charlie, so you know, you know, you have the uh, benefit or maybe the detriment of knowing Ron Johnson really well. You wrote a really great piece in The Bulwark about his trajectory. And the trajectory has been real for Republicans in general. Even you, you've been a talk radio host on the right. And now you are in the yeah. sane wing of the, of the world with, with us. Talk about how somebody goes from being kind of a norm core-ish I just want tax cuts Republican to being what Ron Johnson is. And do you think that what he is now makes him more or less viable for reelection? Okay, so the honest answer is I really do not know because I did know Ron Johnson in the before times before he went uh, completely (laughs) bat bat bleep crazy. Um, But, you know, the, the thing about Ron Johnson is, you know, he ought to be the most vulnerable Republican in the country. And you made a really interesting point on Earth 2.0 in a rational political universe. He should be dead man walking. He should be an embarrassment. And yet the reality is that in our current environment, he has a, a very reasonable chance to win re-election. He may even be the favorite, given the, the dynamics of midterm elections. And that says so much about our politics, and it says so much about the Republican Party that they look at Ron Johnson and what he has become and what he says, and it goes, yeah, we're okay with that. Yeah. Let, let me play for you, Adam Kinzinger. I thought Adam Kinzinger... He, he just hit it spot on. You and I have had this conversation before, but I thought he yeah. said it so sort of perfectly uh, over the weekend because I think people make the mistake of believing this is all Trump based and that Trump created this right. dynamic when I've never thought that. I thought I think he just caught on to some, a train that was already moving. Here's Adam Kinzinger this weekend. Donald Trump is a symptom of years and years of leaders, um, you know, profit driven radio shows, whatever turning the base into this angry, fearful, you know, victimized group of people. If any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. The white race has probably had fewer slaves and for a briefer period of time than any other in the history of the world. And this is the same guy who, you know, in 2010 called, you know, Obamacare reparations and used that to, like, you know, excite his audience. I mean, this has been decade after decade after decade of people feeding that. And Donald Trump was a listener. That's why he gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Right. He was a ditto head. And so I think when you do you think that at this point the Republican base has been so captured by that sense of grievance, that that national line that you can't undo it? And, and that is why Ron Johnson is still viable. The short answer is yes. And, and, and I have to say, Joy, look, uh, for many years I was part of this and I did not recognize this. And among my great regrets 
has been going along with some of this and going along and promoting Ron Johnson. You know, I am deeply regretful, and I think the Democrats will be deeply regretful if they don't do everything possible to to oust him. But but you're absolutely right, and and, and I think Adam has come around to this view, um, which is that this dysfunction was a pre-existing condition, and I and I do yeah. think that that juxtaposition you just played is very very important. Because, you you know, Rush, we are living in the world that Rush Limbaugh created and that yeah. Donald Trump would not be president if it was not for people like Rush Limbaugh preparing the way for him. And so um, I also think that it's true that even if Donald Trump disappeared from the political world today, um, this wouldn't change this dynamic um, of what we're, what we're seeing, the Ron Johnsons of the world, the embrace of conspiracy theories, the obsession with identity politics, that sense of victimization, um, the the politics of ginning up fear and anger against other people, other Americans. That's now part of the world that we live in. And that's what Ron Johnson has now embraced. And he's gone along yeah. with it. Um, but I think he's gone further because I think he's gone down so many rabbit holes. You can't even count them anymore. But yes, yeah. this, this is part of the reality that we face in 2022. But let me let me just play just to, to, to underscore that point. This is a current Wisconsin talk show host. Her name is Vicki McKenna. This was yeah. her on Insurrection Day on January 6th. Here she is. On this solemn day of remembrance, I can't take any of this garbage seriously. January 6th was a lot like one day of the occupation of the Wisconsin Capitol when Scott Walker was governor. And exactly nothing like the riots in Minneapolis, the riots in Kenosha, the riots in Madison. And th this is why, I mean, one of the other things that Kinzinger, Representative Kinzinger yeah. said is that what brought Donald Trump back to life more than anything else was Kevin McCarthy running down to Mar-a-Lago like a toady and getting on one knee to Donald Trump and bringing him back to life, right? Even though he knew it was wrong. Right. And so right. this line that Ms. McKenna is saying, this is the line now, that is why Kevin McCarthy, the only way he can buy the loyalty of those idiot crew that now really run the House is to promise to expel Ilan Omar or, you know, run right. Adam right. Schiff out of town. Like he has yeah. to do that, right? Like that's the only way right. he can survive. Right. I mean, what you just played was the id of um, the Republican Party in, in Wisconsin today. And, you know, Ron Johnson is very much a, a creature of shows like Vicki McKenna's these days. Most of the outrageous thing you see, you uh, hear him say, are, are set on on shows like this. And it is this sort of feedback loop of of doom. But that moment uh, that uh, Ed and Kinzinger described is, is really extraordinary because it was about five minutes when after January 6th, when Republicans had that moment where they thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this has gone too far. You know, Donald Trump is is dangerous. He's reckless. He's crazy. Um, and that lasted for about five minutes. And then, of course, mm -hmm. Kevin McCarthy did what the rest of the party did, which was to go down and, and bow the knee. And you see now that they've created this narrative, the narrative that it was, you know, January 6th was really no big deal. It was no different than yep. other protests that were largely peaceful or, you know, compare it to uh, riots that took place elsewhere. Um, obviously, eliding the fact that it was an attempt to overturn a presidential election and that it was aimed at stopping the counting of the electoral vote. But, yeah, in order to understand Ron Johnson, you need to listen to people like Vicki McKenna because that's, that's who right. he listens to. Uh, this is why for years and years and years, I listened to Rush Limbaugh. I listened to Right and Talk Radio. I right. listened to Glenn Beck. Because you, you, if you don't know what they're saying, you really don't understand what's going on over there on the other That's side of this, exactly of this thing. Right. You need to listen to it, folks out there. It is, it is, 
eye-opening. Charlie Sykes, thank you very much. Hope Adam Kinzinger will come on the show one time. Talk to him if you talk to him. Um, appreciate you. Up next on The Readout, Jim Jordan, the guy who said he has nothing to hide, is now refusing to cooperate in a big test for the January 6th committee. Because if they don't vigorously pursue Jordan, they will never go after Trump. Also, President Biden and Vice President Harris head to Georgia to argue for voting rights legislation. But in a late development tonight, a coalition of voting rights groups says it will not participate in the Biden-Harris event. Plus, I will have a frank discussion with a woman who doesn't think that she needs the COVID vaccine and why doctors and scientists say she does. In tonight's absolute work today, repeat offender. We tried to find someone else, y'all, I swear, but no one else came close. The readout continues after this. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash M-O-A. Brought to you by Argenix. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Are you willing to tell the select committee what you know about events leading up to during... I've been clear all along. I've got nothing to hide. I've been straightforward all along. For months, Congressman Jim Jordan stuck to his mantra that he had nothing to hide from the select committee. Well, now that they've actually asked to interview him, he's singing a very different tune. The ardent Trump loyalist is officially refusing to speak to the committee, and he's citing every excuse in the book. He claims he has no relevant information. He argues that his conduct on January 6th was part of his official duties, and he accuses the committee of outrageous abuse. In other words, Jordan was lying every time he claimed that he had nothing to hide. That was just for show. As the committee points out in a statement, Jordan's letter completely ignores the basic fact that he spoke directly to Donald Trump on January 6th and is thus a material witness. In fact, it seems that Jordan has everything to hide since he's been notably unwilling to give a straight answer to fundamental questions about his communications with Trump that day. Did you talk to the former president that day? I've talked to the former president umpteen times, thousands. I mean, I mean, not thousands, I mean, on times, January but countless, 6th. countless times. I continue to talk to the president. No, no, since no, I he's mean, left on office. January 6th, Congressman. Yes. On January 6th, did you speak with him before, during or after the Capitol was attacked? Uh, I'd have to go. I, 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 I spoke with him that day after, I think after. I don't know if I spoke with him in the morning or not. I, I, I just don't know. I talked to him that day. 
I, I, my understanding is, from my memory, I talked to him after the attack happened and we were moved to the, to the chamber. I may have talked to him before. I don't know. Those are humana, humana, humana answers from Jordan, who's known for hysterically badgering witnesses that he would never, never have accepted if the shoe had been on the other foot. And we will address that in a second. His defiance sets up a big test for the select committee, raising the question of whether they will issue a subpoena against a fellow member of Congress. But if they don't, how are they ever going to subpoena a former president? With me now, David Jolly, former Republican congressman who's no longer with the party, and former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. And David, you know this guy. Does it surprise you that somebody who is ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, who literally screams and shrieks at witnesses basically for a living without a, t- a jacket on, which is people have an issue with, is, is going to defy, that com- uh, defy the select committee? Look, on a, on a baseline level of patriotism, yes, it surprises me. But what we know is Jim Jordan is hiding a lot. He is covering up a lot. He is hiding and covering up text messages, voicemails, whatever the communications look like with Donald Trump that day, which he has acknowledged kind of, but kind of not. He knows the president's frame of mind. And that's the most critical piece that Jordan can offer. Now, I would also tell you, I think the committee will have a tough time enforcing a subpoena against Jim Jordan. I think actually the three of us may have talked about this a week or two ago. I think what the committee is going to have to demonstrate is that Jim Jordan likely has information related to the conduct of criminal activity, because Jim Jordan is right. Just protesting the election on the floor of the House as a member of Congress that has been done before in past elections. It was done in this one. That by itself Mm -hmm. is probably not enough to have DOJ or the courts intervene in a member versus member uh, conversation. But if the committee can demonstrate that Jim Jordan might actually have have information related to consciousness of guilt of the president or the president's frame of mind, perhaps they could enforce this. Let me that that is the key question, I I believe this is uh, here's Benny Thompson. He was on Meet the Press last week. And this is the key question, Joyce, I believe, is is whether or not they can take that request up a level to a subpoena. Take a listen. You think you're going to have to subpoena a sitting member of Congress? Well, I think there's some uh, questions of whether we have the authority to do it. Uh, We're looking at it. If the authorities are there, there will be no reluctance on our part. So that is the key question, Joyce. Can Congress, to your knowledge, lawfully subpoena a sitting member? It's an open question, and it involves the speech and debate clause privilege and whether members' uh, immunity for activity that they engage in off of the, the floor of the House would extend to what went on here. But the reality, Joy, is the committee will likely get to the point where it will issue a subpoena. It seems unlikely that they would have come to this juncture without knowing that they would have to. And the real question is, will someone enforce that subpoena for them if Jim Jordan fails to comply, which he seems unlikely to comply? And then because the thing is, if they can't get through a subpoena against him, right, it's doomed to try to subpoena Trump because, you know, Trump is not going to comply either. I just want to play. I talked about Jim Jordan badgering folks. For those who have not paid a lot of attention to Jim Jordan, I just want to play a little bit of the way he behaves when he is uh, in his seat with the gavel in his hand. I also said that there were some who tried to justify it on the basis basis of the video, Congressman. And I think it's... But but, but, real quick, calling it an attack is like saying the sky's blue. Of course it was an attack. That is not accurate, sir. It is accurate. We have caught you hiding information, Mr. Chairman. Can we allow the witness to answer? 
So the protests don't increase the spread of the virus? I didn't say that. You're putting words in my mouth. No, I, I, want, I, would, I just want an answer to the question. May I answer 13 that question? Conversation. Yeah, I'll get to you. I'll, I'll give you a chance here in a Thank second. You. Who told Papadopoulos? How'd he find out? I can't get into the evidentiary file. Yes, you can, because you wrote about it. Dream with me, David Jolly. If the House goes to the Republicans, can we not assume that they are going to use their power not to try to advance legislation or do anything for their, their people, but what, what their constituents want is that for them to just own the libs. And so if Democrats refuse to accept subpoenas for whatever nonsense they try to come up with, don't you think that Republicans are going to demand and insist that their subpoenas be honored? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, Republicans know one tactic and it's scorched earth. And I think there is some patience and jurisprudence being used by the one six committee that if Jim Jordan does not participate and you know, I look, I use the word patriotism in our last exchange and I really mean it. Jim Jordan knows Donald Trump's frame of mind on January 6th. He knows the president's frame of mind. He was in contact with the president and he is unwilling to share that with the one six committee that in and of itself should raise questions of patriotism around Jim Jordan. Whether or not he can litigate his, litigate his way out of testifying will be a mm -hmm. matter, I suppose, for Department of Justice and the courts. But you better be sure when Jim Jordan has the gavel, watch out, Democrats. He's coming for you. So I would say don't hesitate to go for him in this moment right now. No, the, tr the true sign of an authoritarian follower is you turn against your own body. You turn against the branch of government you actually serve in. Um, I, I have to bring this up with you, Joyce, because there is this other thing that's going on out there. We're going to probably get into this more tomorrow. Forged election slates. This actually happened. Trump supporters with no legal authority in the state of Michigan and Arizona, they actually forged documents which were designed to be slates of, ele of electors, tried to pass them off as legitimate. They did it in Wisconsin as well, Michigan and Wisconsin, and tried to put those things forward. Um, that seems to me to be an obvious crime. They were trying to perpetrate a fraud by submitting elector electors that they knew to be fake. Why is that not the subject of some sort of criminal charge at this point? So we know from Merrick Garland's speech last week that DOJ is not saying what it is or isn't looking at. But we have Garland's vow that he'll look at everything that contributed to the effort that culminated on January 6th. I think the short answer is we don't know if he's looking at, at that set of facts. But we do know that the January 6th committee is now reaching out to the states and it's very curious that these fraudulent uh, lists of electors were submitted. We know that in at least two of the states where this happened, they got outreach. They were advised that it happened. In, in one state in Arizona, they reached out to one of the groups, a group of sovereign citizens, which is a, a sort of a right-wing militia group, and told them to cease and desist, to not do it anymore. But whether there's more to this, I think, is something we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead. Oh, definitely. We're going to get into this more tomorrow. But think about that, uh, folks that are listening right now. People who have, you know, are going to, were trying to set aside 160 some odd million votes by submitting fake electors and saying, no, take these. And the question then becomes, how high up the chain did it go? Did people know that that might have been part of the plan to try to submit these false electors and get them to be accepted um, by the National Archives and by the, how, by the United States Senate? It's, it's terrifying. Uh, they're going to try it again. David Jolly. Joyce fans, thank you both very much. Still ahead, President Biden and Vice President Harris are heading to the battleground state of Georgia tomorrow to push for voting rights protections. But with two conservative Democratic senators still opposed to filibuster reform, is there any hope? We'll discuss after this quick break. Stay with us.
Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. President Biden is heading to Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow for a speech on voting rights legislation. Biden and Vice President Harris will make an urgent call for the passage of federal voting rights laws, specifically two bills stalled by Senate Republican obstruction. Senate Democrats are expected to take up a bill by MLK Day to change Senate filibuster rules, which is currently opposed by two conservative Democrats who won't say what they actually will support. That's partly why some Georgia voting rights groups told the White House to stay away unless they have a plan to get the legislation over the finish line. A joint statement signed by several groups noted Georgia voters made history and made their voices heard overcoming obstacles, threats, and suppressive laws to deliver the White House and the U.S. Senate. In return, a visit has been forced on them, requiring them to accept political platitudes and repetitious, bland promises. Such an empty gesture, without concrete action, without signs of real, tangible work, is unacceptable. And tonight, a coalition of groups who signed on to that statement, including Black Voters Matter, announced that they will be skipping President Biden's speech. And joining me now is Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter, and Latasha, my friend, this has been the subject of a lot of chit chatter on Twitter. Um, but these groups are not going to attend. And it's not just Black Voters Matter. New Georgia Project Action Fund won't be there. Asian American Advocacy Fund. The Galio Impact Action Fund. These are groups that helped win the state uh, in 2021 uh, in that in that special election and in 2020 aren't going to be there. Uh, tell me why. You know, it is not our goal to be combative or to be antagonistic. We are trying to send a message of how serious this is for us. That has been over a year when we're looking at SB 202 and the kind of damage that it did in the state of Georgia. Currently, right now, many of the voters that supported and came out and voted in record numbers, we have less voting rights protection now than we did a year ago. And we're saying that is we're long past the time for just speeches. At this moment, what we want to see is we want to see a bill in hand. We want to see the bill signed. We want to, and we believe that there was a lot of goodwill. There was a lot of of momentum that has been lost in the last year um, because the Democrats did not. We don't feel like this administration made this a priority. And so we're always welcoming. Yes, we welcome people to come uh, visit our state. We want the administration to be successful. But what we also is we have to really be able to hold each other accountable and this administration accountable. It is unconscionable that here we are a year later and we do not have voting rights legislation in place. And so that's the message that we're sending. We're sending a message of we're serious, that this is the moment right now that we're expecting some real, real deliverable. 
Now, and, and I should note that um, per uh, the great reporting uh, by Aaron Haynes at 19th News, Stacey Abrams will also not be there. She did tweet in support of the event. Uh, she said she had a conflict. Uh, it, interesting that she will not be there either. Um, and so when the president and the vice president come down, um, it, it doesn't appear that they have in place agreement by Mansion and Cinema um, to push through this legislation on the 17th. Um, and so there is a lot of pushback saying, well, what are they going to come and say? Uh, Ense Ufad, who you know very well, she got into a little bit with a lot of folks on social media who were like, well, what do you think the plan should be? And she's like, that's not my job. It's not my job to come up with the plan. And we want me to chew their food for them too. That's not it. You do the work. And so to answer that critique that people have is, you know, they're the executive branch. They can't make mansion and cinema do anything that they want them to do. What do you, how do you answer that? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, I think the president actually made a calculated mistake early on last year. I think at the end of the day, it was very clear that this was not a priority for him, that he, the way that he spoke about the infrastructure bill, he did not speak about the voting rights. You know, matter of fact, he said earlier on in one of his interviews, you know, that he would, 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 once the bill came to his desk, that he would be willing to sign it. I've been saying this consistently, that we needed an LBJ moment. We needed him to get behind it and say unequivocally, we're going to have voting rights in this country. And I am supporting that and put the same kind of what I thought the fullness of his power of his office. He did not do that. And so as a result, here we find ourselves now. There are many that believe that the best use of time would be to be in the Senate, to be in D.C. and to actually rally the kind of support and the votes that we need. You know, I am hopeful that we're going to have voting rights legislation. But I think that this speaks to the frustration, you know, that people are feeling on the ground and groups that actually did the hard work and continue to be working hard right now to actually to just to listen to words, you know, we want real action. Just as every other American, you know, Americans vote for people not because they want speeches. What they want is they want results. We delivered, and I think that is very reasonable for us to expect that the Democrats would deliver as well and that this administration would deliver as well. And, you know, and, and I, I point out for and those who watch the show know that our friend Joe Madison, who you and I both care a lot about, uh, I text with him frequently because I'm worried about him. Um, he is on, what, 60 some odd days of this hunger strike. Um, we just had another group of clergy and people who are civil rights leaders join and do a hunger strike. Well, he's on day 64. Um, there are two dozen faith leaders who've also joined in doing it, too. I mean, people are literally putting their lives on the line. What do you make of the fact that people's health risk. I mean, their lives are at risk. And this has not seemed to have moved Joe Manchin or cinema at all. You know, it's I, I, I have so many comments that I can say around that. And I think part of it is I think that Manchin has been lying all the while. You know, I think that he has never had real intentions to support this. But I also believe that there's a tremendous amount of power that goes with the administration. And part of the reason why we've actually been calling the carpet uh, the administration to the carpet on this is because we believe that the president does set the tone of the policy priorities. And so that we felt like and we feel that that he did not set the tone early on enough around that voting rights was a priority. Yet we find ourselves here. What we are expecting, we are expecting that this administration will deliver, that we will have federal voting rights legislation that will support the Americans in this country and that it will be a priority for this administration. Here, this is a president that was in the Senate for four decades, Joy, right? If there's anyone that I would expect to know how to navigate and maneuver through the Senate, it would be him, right? And so I think there's a expectation that they will deliver on these voting rights. 
I think that is entirely reasonable because you certainly cannot organize your way out of voter suppression uh, and the reversal of elections, which is the other thing they've made possible in the state of Georgia. Uh, Latasha Brown, thank you for doing all the work that you do and really appreciate you being here tonight. My friend, appreciate you. And up next, tonight's absolute worst. Well, is one of our regulars. He just makes it too easy. And later, confronting vaccine hesitancy. Is there any way to change the minds of friends and family who still refuse to take the shot? We'll be right back. And now another dispatch from the so-called free state of Florida, as Ron DeSantis is at it again. When the Florida legislative session begins this week, he will continue his war on teachers teaching, you know, facts about the true history of this country, both the good and the bad, in the absurd Republican obsession with one of their favorite boogeymen, critical race theory. What we're going to be doing in this upcoming legislative session, we're going to give parents the ability to go in and get legal relief uh, if they're not following our state standards with respect to history and government. And I think empowering parents to be involved, making sure parents have a right to inspect the curriculum. And it's not just about critical race theory. I mean, there's a lot of other inappropriate content that can be smuggled in uh, by, uh, by, by public schools. And what does old Ron think is being smuggled in? Perhaps teachers are trying to smuggle in more copies of Toni Morrison's books before they get banned. Or maybe that teachers go against his state standards for history and government by sharing that Trump will thin-skinned actually lost the 2020 election. Not allowed. But instead of worrying about feeding his base fake crises in the schools, he should be handling the one that is literally ravaging his state right now. Florida continues to break records for COVID infections and hospitalizations are going back up. The state is distributing COVID tests to teachers, but one county is reporting that the ones they received were expired. This follows the bombshell admission by DeSantis last week that the state had about one million COVID tests expire without being used. How comforting that must be for the teachers of Florida. DeSantis does not seem to be too concerned as he and his notorious Surgeon General have been on a crusade against testing, recently making this absurd claim that he thought would back up his case. Think about it. Before COVID, did anyone go out and seek testing to determine if they were sick? Yes, Ron, you bum. It's called preventive care. It's what you do in this country to get ahead of a potential illness rather than waiting until your situation gets worse. Florida offers testing for a host of medical issues, including HIV and other STDs. And maybe Ron has heard about, I don't know, colonoscopies and mammograms that can detect various cancers. His wife was one of the more, one of the more than 300,000 women in the United States who was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. Now, fortunately, she appears to be on the road to recovery and we wish her well. But she told all of us that she only found out about it because of early screening, a.k.a. testing. And that is why Ron DeSantis, you are tonight's absolute worst for the second time already in this brand new year. And up next, we look at the impact that rhetoric like this has as we deal with the challenges of covid and unvaccinated America and talk directly to someone who says the vaccine is not for her. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. COVID has been a painful and gnawing presence in our lives for nearly two years now. To date, more than 300 million people around the globe have had COVID and more than 5 million have died. More than 840,000 of those deaths were here in the U.S. Now, sadly, it feels like we've exhausted the conversation about the efficacy of the vaccine and ending this nightmare. 
Health experts estimate that about 15% of U.S. adults remain unflinchingly unvaccinated. Who are those people? And what will it take to move them? Well, you know many of them. They're not all Trump supporters. They're your friends, your relatives, even your kids. And these days, it feels like we are talking past each other. Well, tonight, we are going to try something different. Instead of talking about them, let's talk with them. Joining me now is Evelyn Anton McDowell, an educator at a private university who remains unvaccinated, and Dr. Kavita Patel, our friend and MSNBC medical contributor. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Ms. Ms. McDowell, nice to meet you. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you because I think a lot of a lot of folks who are not getting vaccinated are sort of hiding it, right? There are people who are buying fake vax cards and, you know, sort of sneaking. I like the fact that you're just being you and being open about it. So let me ask you this question. Why are you not vaccinated? First of all, Joy, thank you for having me on and, and allowing me to tell my side of the story. Sure. <laughs> I, um, I'm unvaccinated because um, I actually caught COVID twice. I had it once in March of 2020. I had it again in November of 2020. Um, this is all before the vaccination. Um, I was I was sick the first time and quickly, uh, not quickly, took me 65 days to get a, um, a negative um, uh, a negative test. And then and then when I got it the second time, I quickly got over it uh, within two weeks. Mm-hmm. I I tested negative. Um, then um, I, I, I've, I've been tested uh, for antibodies. And so I've been tested twice for antibodies, th- actually three times. Uh, the most recent was November and my antibody levels were very high. Um, and, and so if the vaccine is meant to get my body ready, um, to get it, you know, get my immune system ready to fight COVID, well, natural immunity has done that for me. Um, Let me I've, ask proven you this I've also taken a T-cell test. Sure. So I, and I and I've had people say that to me before. I have family relatives who said the same thing. But doesn't the fact that you caught it a second time prove that your natural immunity didn't keep you from getting COVID because you caught it again? Well, yeah, well, again, I mean, I think um, I think I'm correct by saying that the vaccine does not prevent you from getting. COVID. But no, but wait, your natural immunity. Now, but let the me, high levels. Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, as, as we see now, people are, are, are getting the vaccine and um, and they're still getting COVID. So it doesn't stop you from getting COVID. Let, let me let me let bring Dr. Kavita Patel in there, because I hear this a lot. People saying, look, I've got natural immunity. I had COVID. Therefore, I don't need to take the vaccine. We've had some professional athletes do it. The Aaron Rodgers, Kylie, Kyrie Irving. No, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Novak Djokovic. You know, th- these are people who've said this. Right. Is that true? Because I know people who've got it twice. Doesn't that mean that? Your natural immunity doesn't stop you from getting COVID again. Yeah, Joy, I think, look, first of all, Ms. McDowell, I'm glad you came here because I think more people actually agree with you and have your feeling. But here's the problem with natural immunity. It doesn't last at the same levels forever. The antibodies that you had measured, actually, we know now that those antibodies specifically are not as protective against Omicron. You are correct. Vaccines don't prevent you from getting infected. Vaccines are really meant to prevent disease. And what we know is that, unfortunately, natural immunity from any of the strains before Omicron do not protect against Omicron. But here's some good news. Your natural immunity combined with vaccine-induced immunity, which is very broad, and the T-cells you mentioned, I think of the T-cells as the quarterback of a football team, and when you vaccinate, you get the T cells organized, you get the entire like defense and offensive line organized. It just gives you broader immunity. And we know that creates actually the best immunity 
not just against Omicron, but what we think will be future threats. And that's what we're hoping for. So I implore you, beg you to have the conversation. I'll have it with you offline. But just to talk through some of this and why I think it'll protect you in the long run and the people you love around you. Well, what, what do you make okay. of that, Ms. McDowell? I can, what do I think of that? Okay. Um, actually, uh, this past Christmas, I was exposed directly to, um, uh, to someone who has COVID. And so far, I've tested negative. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that my body um, is able to handle uh, COVID. I mean, I've, I've, like I said, I've, I've had it twice and I've been exposed a third time. Um, that I know of directly in my face, breathing in my face, and I did well, not get it. So. Let, let me ask you this question, because we don't have a ton of time, but I, I have to play this for you, because it is yes. partly about you and protecting you, but it's also about other people. Let, let me just play some healthcare professionals talking about what they've gone through. Take a look. I'm here to tell you we're tired, we're exhausted, and we're literally on the edge. We're feeling that the staff is getting uh, sick. Uh, we have over 500 uh, employees throughout Baptist Health that have come down uh, with COVID. I've not ever seen a patient here in the ICU who's been fully vaccinated with a booster. Not one. This doesn't have to happen. Here's the thing that I think I struggle with a lot, Ms. McDowell, is there is you and your own sense that you feel invulnerable to it, but there are healthcare workers who are begging people like yourself to get vaccinated because what they're seeing is that the vast majority of the people who are coming to the ER, who are clogging up the healthcare system, who are making it impossible for somebody with a stroke or with a heart attack to be able to get in because all the patients are COVID, you're, it is 10 times more likely if you are unvaccinated that you're going to end up in the ER if you get it. People who are unvaccinated are literally making our health system shut down. Are you concerned that you could, even if you can survive it, that you might give it to somebody who can't survive it, who might end up in the ER, or that you might end up in the ER and make it impossible for these poor healthcare workers to do their jobs? They're also begging because they're suffering too. Does that move you at all? Uh, oh, absolutely. I am not against vaccination. And and um, had I not had COVID twice, um, maybe i Probably, I'm sure I probably would have taken the vaccine. My, my, everybody in my family is vaccinated, fully vaccinated. And that person that, that was, that had COVID that, that was in my family, um, uh, they were fully vaccinated. So I, but I mean, I aren't really, you worried about I, the healthcare against, system? Like, are you worried about oh, the doctors? Oh, I am, like I am, of course, but I'm not worried about mm-hmm. it for me. They, they, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not going to see me there. I had it twice and I beat it. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't see I, I don't not worried about me, but I am worried about other people um, not, you know, uh-huh. not being protected. We, we got I'm protected. My body has been well, protected naturally. Well, we're I'm we're protected. out of time. I hope that you will get together with Dr. Patel and you guys can talk <laughs> offline. We need to have more of these conversations thank because you, there are doctors begging you to change it. your mind. OK, thank you, Evelyn Love and you. Anton McDowell and Dr. Kavita Patel. Thank you very much. That's nice readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready... 
The Mel Robbins Podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow The Mel Robbins Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.